from the Gospel of Matthew, the words of Jesus. But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let us pray. Good and gracious Father, Holy Lord, we thank you for these words that we have read. We confess that they are difficult to hear. Immediately our minds begin to consider when we have seen or not seen, when we have gone or refused to go. Like the Apostle Paul, Father, you took the scales from his eyes so that he might see even today Lord, help us to see those around us. Help us to see them as you see us, to love them as you love us. Open these words for us today so that we might be transformed and about your goodwill. We love you and we thank you. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Master. Amen. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered around him and he will separate them one from another. You begin to feel the weight of those words immediately. You know, just sensing it, that no matter what is going to happen next, what words Jesus is going to say next, they are incredibly important. And of course, we know that what Jesus is referring to is the final judgment that will certainly occur upon his return. Now, we might not want to think about judgment. The truth is, none of us really, really do. And judgment in our culture is something that's kind of rude. We don't 
think that we should talk about it. We've heard it a dozen times, maybe more. You know, someone will say, don't judge me. Don't ju- you can't judge me. Everyone has their own truth. And the truth is, I think that's kind of silly. Because God's word is truth. And you and I are called to judge every day, especially first and foremost, our own behavior. We are called to judge to ensure that we are living in accordance with God's will and with his word. So that we don't do that just because God has drawn a line in the sand and and he said, you know, this is what I want you to do. No, we, we live according to his word. We judge our own behavior so that we might live fully. We might live in love. We might live in joy. And so that, in according with God's word, that we would live without fear of the judgment. 1 John 4, 17 says, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Judgment is a reality. Hebrews 9, 27 says, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, likewise, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We note here that Paul says uh, all men, all women will stand in judgment. Now we might conveniently start to think, you know, that's the judgment of those that don't believe in Jesus Christ, have not accepted his free gift, that would not be biblical. We know that there is a judgment for those that have not accepted Christ, but we also know there is a judgment for believers where you and I must stand before God for what we have done, both good and bad. Now the truth is that I don't fully understand the judgment. I don't understand how the the blood of Jesus, and I believe this with all my heart, can cover my sins. The precious sacrifice of Jesus. I don't understand how my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, that they're as far away as the east is from the west, that they're thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. And yet also, I know that we, I am accountable for my deeds, good or bad. How do you understand the judgment seat? One extreme way might be to Just understand that because our sins are covered, I can go on living any which way I want. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to really think about it that much because isn't the grace of God wonderful? You know, the Apostle Paul said that very thing. He said, you know, some of you are just living and and, and you are proving how great the grace of God is by continuing to live in your sins and, and you're just celebrating the grace of God. Paul says to them, may it never be. If we go to this extreme, then God simply becomes our, our buddy, regardless of our behavior. And when stated so bluntly, it clearly is not a biblical choice. The other extreme is that we could move to kind of a, a legalistic response to the judgment. You know, God is like an angry grandfather just waiting to smite us, to punish us. And yet we believe that God is love and that Such an attitude will only drive a fearful wedge between us and our Heavenly Father, and we know that cannot be His will. Perhaps there is a third response for us today. Perhaps today that we can be so grateful, so humbled by the sacrificial gift of God that it is our desire to love Him fully, to live in Him fully, and and just be out of that love, love one another. 
And because that is our motivation, that our motivation is to, to love God and to love others, that is our motivation, even if we don't get every little thing right, we know that we are absolutely covered. We are drenched in grace. We have no fear of judgment. And so then, Jesus begins to describe the judgment. He says he will separate one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, if you were a first century Jew, you would get this in a heartbeat. Because during the day, the sheep and the goats, well, they would walk, they would graze with one another. But goats have a hard time with a cold at night. And so as the day ended, they would be gathered together but the sheeps could be left to tend for themselves. On the other hand, uh, literally on the other hand, the first century Jew would absolutely know that the right hand was the hand of power. It was the hand of strength. It was the hand of cleanliness, of purity. And the left hand was weak and unclean. And so the conclusion is easy. It is far better to be a sheep than a goat. It is far better to sit on the right hand of God than on his left. And so the forward-thinking person, the wise man or woman, wants to know, how do we live in love? How do we please the master and have no fear of judgment? The conclusion of the modern church seems to be that it is based upon my profession of faith. The path to the right-hand side of God is to walk the aisle and to make a profession of faith. Interestingly, Jesus says nothing about a profession of faith. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning, the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Now, it's important to emphasize here that we do not have a works-based faith. You and I cannot earn salvation. We understand that it is the free gift of God. Rather, the implication here is that this, listen now, the free gift of God began working in us and began that transformation period so that we begin to see others differently. We begin to see our vision is uh, clarified. Things become clear. And now I'm not only just looking out, looking out for my own needs and what will please me, but this transformation, this incredible gift of God that he's given me begins to transform my vision, transform my sight, so I begin to see others and look out for their needs first, 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 even before my own. And that must have sounded like a radical idea, and perhaps it even sounds like a radical idea to you today. Look out not only for your own needs, but look out for others. Because you know what? I think to myself, I was thinking this morning, what haven't I already received? By the grace, by the love, by the cross of Jesus Christ, what else could he give me? If he gave me nothing else for the rest of my life, he has given me eternity. He has given me freedom. He has taken away fear. He is indwelling in me so that I might have power. He has given me his love, his presence, his eternal life with the king. What is it in addition that I need? 
And so this transformation begins, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so that my vision begins to change. This is somewhat shocking to the 21st century here. It was to these, even in the parable, it says they almost sound surprised, confused. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? Verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. We know here that Jesus doesn't say you did it for me. I went back and looked at the Greek this week. Some translations will say for. I think a better translation, a more accurate one, it says you did it to me. And how much more intimate, how much more personal. I can do something for someone's sake, for someone. I can do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. That's not what he says. He says, as you do it to these brothers of mine, you do it to me. In my imagination this week, I was thinking if Jesus Christ himself, and the truth is I wish it were so, if those doors would open right there, if those doors would open and in walked Jesus, who among you would stay seated? Who among you would not give up the very best seat? Who among us would not fall to our face if Jesus Christ opened those doors and walked in? Who among us would not do anything for him, right? Who among us would not do everything? But can you see that Jesus is saying is when you do it to the least of my brothers, you are doing it to me, Lord, when did we see you? You see, those are the words that captured my heart this week. When did we see you? Do we see? Are we looking? Is it important to us? You see, the implication is, again, that our radical conversions through the sacrificial of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so transforms our eyes that we begin to see others in a, in a new way. No longer do we, my goodness, how hard we fight to make differences between each other. These organizations, these walls that we build, we, we have different groups and different clubs and different memberships, all to identify who we are. But the transformation of Jesus Christ in our eyes begins to take those scales and, and they fall away as we begin to see there are only two groups, those who are already in the family of God and those who desperately need to hear the words of Jesus Christ, to hear the good news, to hear the gospel. And that radical conversion changes not only our eyes, but our hearts so that we will not only see, but we will go. And we will go and meet those needs as a sign of the love of Jesus Christ. It opens the door as we invest in people's lives. One man said once, a lost soul cannot hear the gospel over the rumblings of an empty stomach. And so we go to meet those needs as a sign of the love of Jesus. 
And the proof, do you hear that word? The proof that we have begun this radical transformation. It's not a walk down the aisle. It's not a profession of faith. The proof in that radical transformation is our willingness and our ability to see the hurt and the pain and the hunger and the sickness and the brokenness and the loneliness of those around us and then to go and act to meet those needs. The words of Jesus in Matthew, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them. That's the proof that it is a good tree, that it is a fruit tree. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. This is the proof. We are called to see others as Jesus sees us. Now think about that just, just for a moment. How does Jesus see you? How does Jesus see you? Well, he sees you perfectly, doesn't he? When you came in this morning and you lifted holy hands, God not only saw your hands, not only heard your voice, but saw your heart. As the choir led us, I, the scriptures say that he lives in our worship. He sees you. He sees us in the light. He sees us in the darkness. He sees us when we hide from him. He sees us when we fail. And that thought, that recognition may make you cringe a little bit. It, would, it does me. But then we remember that he sees us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. He sees us through eyes of love. He sees us with compassion and grace. He sees us knowing how badly I failed this week and still he loves me. He loves you. He loves you perfectly. He knows that I'm not there yet, that I haven't achieved everything that he had hoped for me, and yet he loves me, and he loves me too much to leave me where I am, too much to leave us, and so he is so persistent. He does not give up on us. And aren't you thankful for that love? Aren't you? Now the question is, As much as we love to be loved like that, do we love one another? Do we see them and do we love them? Is this how we see others? Well, there's a cute little blonde girl. She's pretty easy to love. If the Lord said, even the least of them, you did it to me, well, yes, Lord, I can do that. No, no problem. How about this fella? He's a banker on Wall Street. That's a little tougher, isn't it? I think he's been up to shenanigans, you know, and he's hurt a lot of people, but I don't know. He probably comes from a good family. He looks like me. He's a sharp dresser. If he moved in next door, he'd probably keep his grass cut nice. He's got some redeeming qualities. Even to the least of them, you do it to me. Well, yes, Lord. Through gritted teeth, I'll I'll treat him with respect. I'll love him.
even the least of them, you did it to me. Well, clearly he's made some poor choices. I bet he has enough money for cigarettes. You reap what you sow. If I gave him money, he'd probably just spend it on alcohol. Will you look again? Look again through the master's eyes. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Will you look closer still? I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Look again. Can you see? Even the least of them, you did it to me. It's almost too painful to look at, isn't it? Do we see our community around us? Do we see the diversity and the great needs? And as we see the needs, what are our plans to go and meet them? What, what is it that we see? There's a book that I've come to read several times over the last couple years, and it's come to mean a great deal. It has kind of a strange title. It's called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. The, the author, after studying hundreds of churches across America, identified the most common things that will kill a church. Number one, it says the church sees the past as the hero. You know, if we could just get back to 1971, if we could just do it like we did then, everything would be okay. Number two, the church refused to look like the community. Did, did you know that this is what our community looks like? This is the J. Glenn Edwards fifth grade graduation. It, it was held here last year. It was held the year before. It'll be held again this year. And, and this is what our community looks like. This is what our neighbors look like. I was shocked when I, I walked in there and started to realize, you know what, I I am the minority. How many times have you heard it said in this church, we want young families in this church. We want children. That's what they look like. That's who they are. Do we see them? And are we reaching out to them? A study of our area, three to five miles uh, outside of this church, identified that one-third are Caucasian, one-third are African-American, one-third are Hispanic. Look around. Look around this congregation. Do you see our community? Do we look like them? Number three, the budget moved inwardly. I guess that would be easy to check. Number four, the Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. Next, the church has no clear purpose or vision. We, we actually have a really good purpose statement, a vision statement. It says, embodying the presence of Christ to Sanford in the world. These are good words. These are godly words. The question is, are we going? Are we fulfilling them? 
I was uh, talking with uh, one of our church members, a fine woman of the church, and we were talking about our Wednesday night outreach, you know, how we started that a, a couple of months ago, and instead of just kind of enjoying a fellowship and, and eating together, man, we've opened the doors. I'm so proud of you. Let me just say that again. I'm really proud of you. Not only that we opened the doors, but as we had guests come, you surrounded them. You just made them feel at home, and it was a joy to watch. I literally almost started to cry as I saw that every Every one of our visitors, everyone that we were trying to feed, man, there was just people around them. You were just treating them with love and respect. Proud of you. I was talking to one of our women about it, and, and she said, you know what, Cal? I said, tell me about it. She said, you know what? We've got a great church book we just bought. Yes, we do. We've got the greatest kitchen in church I've ever seen. Yes, we do. We need to just get out and start making soup and taking it out and reaching people for Jesus Christ. I said, yes, ma'am, we do. Where do you want to go? She said, I don't know, but let's go. I said, yes, ma'am, let's go. That's the spirit. And here's the good news. It is the will of God. It's the desire of the Holy Spirit. And so that if we put our hearts together and, and change our vision and start to see people around us, man, he's going to guide us. If that's our heart's desire, he's going to give us wisdom. And things are going to grow and change and thrive. And his kingdom, this, this one little church is going to shine like a diamond. But we've got to be able to change our vision. And begin to see. The last one, the church obsessed over facilities. Oh my. What do we see? What do we focus on? What do we spend a lot of time talking about? Do we look like our community? And if not, what can we do about it? Like most churches, we, we struggle with what? What do we talk about? We talk about music and ground maintenance and meeting the needs of the saved. Listen to me now. Meeting the needs of the saved, meeting the needs of the church family will always be an essential part of the ministry of this church. It is good. It is godly. It is biblical. It is God's desire for us that we care for one another. But may I say it again, if God never gave you or I one more thing other than our salvation, isn't it a hundred million times more than what we deserve? Our greatest need has already been met. And so can't we go now and meet the needs of others? Where, where is our focus, our vision? Do we see Jesus in every need? Two of our church members were helping out a family this week. It was a beautiful thing to hear about, to see. I saw just a little bit of it. The family that came to this church needing help, they were having a really difficult time. And two members really went out of their way to, to be with them, to reach out with them. And, and uh, they, they made sure these two folks, your brothers and sisters, they, they went out of their way to make sure that these folks weren't homeless and they had a place to stay for the next few days. And that, you know, we got the church bus, and it was really some ministry there. As we went to their old trailer, and they were able to get some of their stuff out of that trailer. You know, they were able to get their few possessions out in bags. And, and then the, our church members, your brothers and sisters, they, they took them to a hotel. And the tithes and offerings that you give allowed those people, allowed those people to, to not be homeless. 
And I was so proud of them too because not only did they just say, you know, I'm gonna put a Band-Aid on this, but they tried to reach out and, and make sure that they were cared for. And so they coordinated so that they'd have a ride down to South Carolina so that they could be with their family. And I think, uh, I'm not sure that those two that went into that problem that tried to meet those needs, I'm not sure if they knew what they were getting into when they started. Because it took more time than anyone expected. It was physically and emotionally difficult. There was risk involved. It was messy. The natural question is, why? Why, why would you ever invest your life like that? Why risk? Why hurt? Why share? Unless I've totally failed this morning, you know the answer. Lord, when did we see you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. We risk, we hurt, we share, because we see Jesus in them. We do not only do it for him, but we do it to them. And, and, and this is something that's completely wild. I never noticed this before. 1 John 4, 17, we've quoted this already. By this, love is perfected. What, what is this? By loving one another, by reaching out, by loving people like Jesus loves you and me. By this, love is perfected so that we may also have confidence in the day of judgment. Now listen, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Did you hear? Because as Jesus is, so also are you in this world. And so as we risk, we sacrifice, we hurt, we share, we are doing it not only for Jesus, but to Jesus. And here's the miracle. As we do it, for Jesus, to Jesus. He's working in us and transforming us so that we become more like him. So that the world, when they look at you and you and you sacrificing and working, they begin to see Jesus in you. And that's why we go. And that's why we risk. And that's why we love. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you above all. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the incredible gift of eternal life. And as I say those words, I struggle with them because I know, Father, I know, Lord, that words will never be enough to respond to such an incredible gift. In fact, nothing I ever do or say will ever be enough. But perhaps the closest thing that I can ever do is to try to love others as you have loved me.
you met our greatest need, Lord Jesus. Now help us to see those around us that are hurting, those around us that are lost, and give us opportunities, courage, wisdom, strength, and power to go and be your hands, your feet. We cannot do this without you. Help us to see. In your name we pray. Amen.